Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those listening for the first time, the Unity Project is a podcast about the relationships that we have with our bodies. For today's episode, I had the honor of talking with Bex Mui, a queer witch, energy worker, and spiritual organizer. Bex is the founder of House of Our Queer, a spiritual play space, and also the author of the book House of Our Queer, Healing, Reframing, and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Practice. In our interview, Bex talked about what it looked like being raised Catholic in regards to her sexuality and her relationship with her body, what it looked like to take the space that she needed to heal, and then being able to freely reclaim what felt true and enjoy the spirituality that has always been rightfully hers. Beck shares a lot about spirituality as a mental health support, queerness as a blessing, connecting with our queer ancestors, and what it looks like to build your own spiritual toolbox. I had so much fun talking with her about topics like the Gnostic Gospel of Mary, the only one written from a woman's perspective, and how the core message Jesus has in that gospel is to trust her body and her intuition. I find it very interesting how the men who canonized the Bible back in the day decided to keep that specific message out. I think one of my favorite things that Beck said in the interview when talking about purity culture and messages she received from the church growing up regarding purity culture was that as a young witch and a young healer, I did have the sense that all of this noise Everything that I was hearing from the church and the community had to do with the fact that there was some type of power in my body. There was a lot of noise and a lot of control, and that wouldn't be something that was happening if there wasn't something that they wanted. I loved that. I had goosebumps when she said it, and I just had goosebumps reading it back again. I clearly enjoyed talking with Bex, if you can't somehow tell, so... I hope that you enjoy this episode, and please don't forget to check out her book, House of Our Queer. When you're done listening, she goes into so many beautiful things in that book, and it's one that I am going to be keeping and rereading many times throughout my life. So go grab a copy and enjoy. Hey, Bex, how's it going over there? Hi. Oh, it's going well. I'm so excited for this conversation. Yes, me too. Me too. I have been just devouring your book over the past mm. week or so, and I'm so excited to get to, to chat with you about it. Wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, for um for those listening, do you do you want to give a little a little bit of background about who you are and and what you do? Sure. Uh, I'm Bex Mui, uh, she, her pronouns. I'm a queer witch, energy worker, and spiritual organizer. I'm also the founder of House of Our Queer. It's a spiritual play space, I call it, and um, the author of House of Our Queer, Healing, Reframing, and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Practice, which was just released mm -hmm. this year. That's so, so cool. I love that so much. And you just came off of a three-month tour, you said, for your book? I did, yes. Uh, I was so lucky to have um, my publisher support this book tour and um, have my partner come with me. So we loaded up the Jeep and we went all across the country. Basically, I live in Oakland, California. We drove down to LA, over to Florida, up to Maine, and then to Seattle oh, wow. and back down. Did ourselves like... A, a nice loop. Oh my gosh, you literally just bordered the whole country. I didn't even we, realize that. Yeah, we did. <laughs> that must have been well, a lot of things, but that must have been so fun and so exhausting, probably. It was wonderful. And honestly, I'm feeling more exhausted being back in my life <laughs> than oh, I was. Wow. There was something very wonderful about the rhythm of the road that... 
I, you know, every day it was like, okay, we are going to drive this many hours. We're going to land in this new place. We're going to figure out what there is to eat and what there is to do there. <laughs> Maybe I'll have a book talk and then we're going to have dinner and go to sleep. And it was wow. just very, like, the rhythm of that was really beautiful. Plus, we got a national parks pass, so we were able to uh. see a lot of national parks on the way. And, you know, what everyone says about nature and its healing powers, like, is just true. It's just blanket true, you know, and I feel like being able to have these really incredible, you know, book talks and get to meet with folks in places I've never been. And it was really important um, when we were planning the book tour to try to have these conversations in places where people aren't maybe gathering about, you know, queerness and definitely not talking about queerness and spirituality together um, and to leave kind of like just the major cities and, and find and connect with folks all over the country. And so it was really wonderful to get to an energizing you know to do that work and then to like just be in like the grand canyon and like throw oh out whatever energy is needed you know whatever i need to do it's like okay well here's a buffalo in yellowstone and now i'm like revived oh goodness gracious that is that just sounds magical it's purely magical what um what was your favorite park that you went to mm. you know I hadn't seen so many. I grew up in New England where I guess we knew national parks existed, but I didn't really. So there was yeah. so much. Um, but I would say I think that Yellowstone was my favorite just because it felt like there were so many different parks inside of a park. You know, we got to see the oh. geysers. We saw Old Faithful. The bisons had babies because it was spring. And there were like these little oh. trotting. They call them like red dogs or something. They're like bright red babies. And they just take up all over the road. Like they're like, this is ours. Like it does. You can pretend this is a road for you. But like we will walk on it as long as we want. And as slowly oh as we want. And I just loved that. And um yeah, I just felt like there was a lot of different elements uh, to enjoy there. Oh, that's so wonderful. I, I went to Yellowstone as just a, a little kid. And so my memories of it are so specific about like, I saw my first wolf ever. And that was the best day of my life. Amazing. And yes, and all the bison in the street, just like you're talking. They just, <laughs> they had their own thoughts and their own system. And we were in their place. So it was yes. very much about their traffic moving. And oh my gosh, that was mm -hmm. just, I can imagine that must have been so wonderful. Yes, it was. Yeah. So Bex, to, to start off our talk here today, do you, do you want to describe the relationship that you have with your body? Yes, absolutely. You know, um, first, I'll just name that I've had a complicated relationship with my body over time. And it's mm. been, you know, ups and downs and flows. Um, but I'm currently in a really luscious and appreciative place uh, with my body. You know, I've been um, studying energy work now for two years, and it's really helped and shifted my focus of us being spirits and like light beings inside of kind of a flesh sack. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's like, I don't know, something about that distance has really helped me to better see and appreciate my body um, as opposed to feeling sort of trapped inside of it um, or working against it, which I've done for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll also just say, you know, like, many folks I gained weight during the the shelter in time shelter in place times and for me I'm really loving it it, it really helped to kind of bring out like my hips and my curves and um I'm feeling like I saw someone who hadn't seen me in like a year because of the the times and was like wow you're like really growing into your femme goddess body <laughs> oh. um and I'm feeling that I'm really feeling that yeah that's such a brilliant compliment. That's like definitely the thing you want to hear. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, you know, you'll look different and it's interesting when you see people after a time, but it's, it's, yeah, it's sweet to be like, wait, maybe this is more of me um, in a right way. Yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful way of saying that. Cause that's so true. It's more of you. And I could get up on a soapbox forever about being 
trained to be small and be less mm-hmm. of you. And so I love that you that you say it that way. Mm-hmm. That's so wonderful. Um, do you want to explain a little bit more about what you mean by getting into energy work? Yeah, absolutely. So it's part of, and one of the, I call it like tools in my spiritual toolbox. It's one of the frameworks I use for building ritual with House of Our Queer. And energy work is really a way that we are tapping into the part of ourselves that is our like psychic and energetic space. So just the same way that we'll kind of attend to our bodies or we'll do kind of mindfulness practices. There's this other aspect to ourselves. And so through energy work, um, one thing I can do is help assess for other people or for myself, where is our psychic space? Where is our energetic space? What might be holding and living in there? That's maybe other people's energies or things that are stagnant from the past. And I can kind of actually go in and help with the clearing, with the cleansing and um, removing of things that don't need to be there. Mm. Okay, I really, I really like that. And so you're saying in that kind of process, that's helped you have a very good relationship, like a, like a connected relationship with your body, you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I think that some of the, the, um, I mean, there's so many things like you said, you know, I was raised as um, a girl, I identify as a woman. I think there's just had such a complicated, um, had messagings around my body and around who it, who I owed it to. I was raised Catholic. I was raised in a conservative town. I think there's always been this like disconnection and this desire for my body to perform in certain ways and live up to certain standards. And um, all of that, I think, kept me really feeling disconnected from it as like a a shell and somehow thinking about it. And now I'm realizing how, how funny this is, but somehow thinking of it as a shell has helped me. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe it's the shell and it's mine and inside of me, I am not my body. Right. Like I'm living in my body. And so there's this space for that. And then because of that, I can have this appreciation and tenderness for for this vessel that's holding me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I don't think I've I've really thought of it that way of like you are living inside of the vessel. And that really does kind of help bring in like an aspect mm-hmm. of tenderness and appreciation for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so you, you talk a lot in your book at the at the beginning about being raised Catholic and kind of what that looked like, and and then uh, the journey of well, that will will come to those questions. But what was what was it like being raised Catholic? Like, what was that like in regards to to your relationship with your body? What did that look like? Mm-hmm. So I was raised very strict Catholic. I'll say so. I'm uh, biracial Chinese and Polish and um, my Polish family, there's my mom is one of six and I had a, my babshi or my grandma raised me. And so I was raised both like religiously and I would say like culturally Catholic. It was a big part of like our Roman Catholic Polish um, community to be to be Catholic and so there was this um, you know there are there are parts of it that I really enjoyed and that helped me feel like a part of something I will say and especially I grew up with like nine an older sister and like nine girl cousins and we had this like and my just my babshi and so um, we had this like sweet like femme connection and um also, I think when it came to my body, one thing that was, you know, difficult is I was the only, you know, queer person. And so even at a young age, you know, I knew that I liked girls at five and I was having like crushes in kindergarten, like, oh, your hair is so soft, you know, like there was never a question. It wasn't like later, like post-puberty. I was like, this is me. And, um, and it's a thing I always knew, but I never saw any models. There was never anyone to talk to. There was never anyone living like a teenage or adult life um, that looked like something I could live into. And so there was this way that it felt like, you know, am I wrong? Am I in this wrong body? Am I, is that not, am I not like, you know, feeling um, like everybody else, even if I'm seeing that? And I think that that, you know, was definitely challenging. And with the church, you know, my church was very, 
like old school. I, I grew up kind of you know near Cape Cod in Massachusetts, like very close, like a stone's throw from where the Pilgrims landed. It's like the Puritan oh version. It's just like we went to Plymouth on field trips. Like it was just like very, wow. um, very deep type of conservative Catholic. And so the messaging was very strong. Um, and that messaging was at the time, uh, it was really focused on like purity and uh, virginity. Like there was just, we had, um, like we were sent when we were teenagers to go to those like save yourself uh, retreats, you know? And, um, you know, there was something for me, there was some nice escape in that because I was like, oh yeah, like penises are dirty and disgusting and nobody should touch them. <laughs> You're absolutely, like, I love this cow. Like, sign me up. I, I, I've been thinking oh, it, yeah. but I'm glad you said it, you know? Um, <laughs> and so there was, there was something about that that was nice. Um, you were excelling at period. I was, I was like, I am here for it. Like, I'll be the champion of this chastity club. Like, let's, let's go <laughs> come on ladies like we're this is what we are doing um, oh yeah yeah so there was there was a lot of that um but I think that you know as a like young witch right as a young healer when I was there I I did have this sense that all of this noise that everything I was hearing from the church and from the community had to do with the fact that there was some type of power in my body that there was a mm. lot of noise and a lot of control and that that wouldn't be happening if there wasn't something they wanted. Um, and I think that that has been a big, I don't think that's what was intended, but that is how I interpreted it as a young person. And so I think that's really been a part of my just sexual rebellion and like part of the the foundation for how swimmingly I went into queer community when I was um, 18 and I found other folks wow I love how you said that the, that there was so much power in your body that all, it's almost like they they wanted to get get it down like and hidden before you even realized it yes that feels really real and true and really validating honestly mm -hmm. well even the way yeah. the church was teaching about women you know it was all male leaders right we're always talking about jesus we're always hearing these you know these stories of these disciples and these like good men but when they did talk about women they were always like witches to me in this like again very powerful and amazing way i also grew up close to salem you know massachusetts it's a funny <laughs> intersection of things and i was just like yes those are powerful women like thinking about eve as this like original siren you know she had this like oh. tempting adam with her naked appeal and um just luring him away from the safety of god's garden like i knew we were we were taught very explicitly you know that eve had sinned she was a sinner she's the reason that our periods hurt like she's the reason childbirth mm -hmm. is painful for us but I saw in that story and in how much they were harping on it you know she had she had done this thing that she had brought this um this shift and this change and they were still upset about it right they were still upset yeah. that they weren't doing Adam's plan and they had done hers instead oh my gosh oh yeah I I loved your your take on on Eve in your book. I'm trying to find the page where you talk about it, but where you, oh goodness, it might take me a second. Do you, do you know what I'm yeah. talking about? The yes. kind of the reframing? Totally. Do you want to share I can, that? I can share about that. Yeah, absolutely. I just feel that, you know, similar to what I was saying, I think it was really interesting that, you know, they, marketed that Eve as this harlot. I also think there's like this polyamorous um, messaging in that and or this like non-monogamous thing that she kind of went to the snake. She went to the devil, right? She found this like outside person mm -hmm. and that was like the original sin. Like, oh, all you're supposed to do is like be there for Adam and be there for this, for your guy and follow him. And instead she kind of went outside um, and even so, like I said, when I was young, I felt that that was very interesting. I, I felt that she was very powerful, that she was making decisions um, that were, and that, you know, there was something in that. 
But I did have an experience where I had gone to a church. Maybe this is what you're talking about. I wrote it in the book. But um, where someone, uh, there was a priest who was kind of a, a, a queered up Catholic mass. And the priest was, you know, reading the, the traditional readings. And it was the reading about, the, about Eve in the garden. But his homily was about... Um, actually like venerating and thanking Eve. It was saying, you know, it wasn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that we have choice, right? That Eve actually Mm -hmm. is the reason why we are able to be people, like why we can have this lifetime, why we can have, you know, free will and we can have and wrestle with all of the lessons that we can even learn, that we are not just um, unknowing in this like garden of plenty without any chance to learn and grow and make our own Mm. choices. And that in this way, I've looked, you know, even beyond that, you know, folks just really feeling like there's this way that she like birthed humanity, right? That she actually allowed us as humans as we know it to exist and, you know, just how we could give some honor um, for that and for that bravery. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That, that's definitely the piece that I was, that I was referring to. I've never heard it spoken that way. And whenever Whenever the story of Adam and Eve comes up, I always like, as so many people probably do, all the guards go up because it's like, yeah, 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 Eve's the bad guy. It's all her fault. It's all our fault. And then hearing it that like spoken that way was so refreshing and and beautiful. And it just, I don't know. I mean, um, I was telling you a little bit uh, before we started recording, but my my background is very, I was raised very, uh, very evangelical Christian and stuff and um, all the stuff you've probably experienced and heard about of the very uh, just anti-women, obviously anti-queer, anti-all of that, very cis male, straight dominated. And so um, when I was trying to figure out what pieces I wanted to hold on to after like the deconstruction phase, and then I left. I just wanted nothing to do with it for the longest time, and I know you have a a part in your book about that too I want to talk about. And then the piece of like trying to find what pieces you want to hold on to, and I just found it really hard to find those pieces because everything felt so swallowed up in in all the bad. What was was your experience with that like? Because I know... um, or do you want to share a little bit about like coming out and the pain place you talked about yeah. of kind of leaving the church for a minute and then coming back? I'm happy to talk about that. And thank you so much for sharing. I think, you know, one of the reasons that I talk about my Catholic roots with House of Our Queer and as a spiritual organizer and as a queer witch is because so many of us, you know, have buried that part for good reason, but also I think... <laughs> And there's a time in which it could come back up, but actually there never seems to be a time to reveal it. So I felt like there's this point where I'm like hiding again, (laughs) where I'm like hiding in Mm -hmm. my community again, and I'm holding these like secret pasts. And the more that I share about Catholic roots, um, the more it, I have found the invitation for folks to also share how they were raised um, and have their, mm-hmm. have that just be a part of our, you know, normalize that, yes, queer folks, like, we're often were raised in religion and just kind of trying to shatter and dismantle this myth that there is religion and there are queer people and they are on the opposite ends of the world and have never been connected and are not, you know, intertwined. Yeah. Oh, for um, sure. So... I, yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, yeah. the, the book is called Healing, Reframing, and Reclaiming. And it really is those parts of my journey that are shared. And I did need that healing point. When I left the church um, at 20, I was in a very angry place. I was wanted to blame everyone <laughs> in the church. I blamed all of the leaders. I had a lot of fury and I needed, for me, it was five years that um, I took to just feel, um, to just have space and um, fuel my energy and my attention wherever it needed to go. 
And then <laughs> after that, what I found was the reclaiming place. I found that for me, I was doing so many things that I had been raised in um, without realizing it. And the reclaiming, you know, was kind of admitting that that was true. So just for example, in my reframing place, I would feel like, okay, um, I'm not praying anymore, right? Praying is this, this thing that I don't do and don't believe in. But I would be like, thank you universe for looking out for me. <laughs> like at the end of the day, I'd be like, okay, I don't care about anything. But I'd be like, okay, well, I need this. Um, if it's going to rain, I'd be like, please universe, don't let it rain. And, and so I just had these, these different ways that I realized I had all of these rituals. I had these ways that I was interacting and that actually they were benefiting me. There were, I have a very active brain and, um, when I had to eliminate prayer from my life, it was actually extremely difficult because it was like this mental practice that I had done my entire life in the morning, at night, before meals, like when an ambulance goes by, like that was just filtered into how I thought um, and how I moved daily. And so in addition to feeling like I wasn't sure who or what was looking out for me, I didn't have a practice that I could do when I woke up and when I went to sleep. And um, so I think that the, the reframe, the reclaiming really came from saying that, you know, I deserve these rituals and practices. Um, these are mine. <laughs> these are culturally mine. Mm-hmm. These are for me. They don't belong to anyone. Um, and especially if they're like rooted in something that isn't, um, expanding what I say a lot of times you know the pain place is when we continue to evolve and grow but the institutions religions or even families or places where we came from aren't able to evolve and grow with us and Mm. that distance creates pain right and so it's a shame that they can't evolve with us and meet us where we are um but it's not for us to hold and so mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the, the parts of the journey that was really important for me. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love what you said. And I, it's one of the things I highlighted about how you, we deserve every, because um, you talked about spirituality mm-hmm. as like a mental health support and how we deserve yes. like every piece of support there is. Yeah. I thought that was so, so beautiful. And so true. And so I think I just, I love, I love that you were able and wanting to do that, to go and reclaim those things that are rightfully yours and (laughs) are not owned by anybody else in any big institution that has very poor ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yes. And I think it was such an important part, you know, one, to just give myself space and time. Um, but also when I think about reclaiming and getting these roots, one of the things I realized and had to recognize was that I actually, I felt that I was in this place where I had put this distance and the, the church and my upbringing were, you know, in my past. And here I was living like my queer, like Brooklyn, like I was doing like national advocacy for uh, queer people. I was feeling like I was in, I needed nothing, right, in, in this way and is how I felt. Um, and what I began to realize, especially when big transitions happened, when I was in grief, when I was going through horrible breakups, when I was in like these really dark times, what I found was that I didn't know where to turn and I didn't have the rituals that I actually needed. And when I started to investigate what was there for me and what I could get from my Catholic roots, something that I found and realized was that I wasn't actually just at a distance from my Catholic past. I was actually putting a ton of work and labor into holding that door closed, into shoving Mm. that space away. And when I was able to go through the investigation that I talk about in the book and just look at, you know, what are these teachings? What is being left out? What happened? 
attending some churches, like being able to see some new things and, and invite some of that curiosity back into my life, what I found was incredibly healing and what I found was a way to really be at peace with the roots that I came from and also the place where I am now. Yeah, that's really special. That's very, very special. I love that like concept of returning to yourself. Like, I forget what. Uh, so I, um, I am Jewish and like by blood. I wasn't raised Jewish, but I've been starting to get really curious about um, the different, just the different practices and whatnot. And I recently read this book. Are you into like fiction, fantasy type books at all? Oh yes. <laughs> Oh yes! Oh, I love that. I love that answer. Um, this this book just came out called "The First Bright Thing," and it is it's a fantasy book. So it's um, but it's also a little bit historical fiction at the same time. And the main character is a queer Jewish woman, and she's kind of like a time traveler, and that's her like magical ability. And so. A big concept that they talk about is the concept of uh, the Hebrew word teshuva. And that is, I might, I'm hoping that I'm saying all of this right. So if anyone's interested in listening, please uh, do research as well, because I'm saying all this by memory. But it's all about um, repentance in meaning like the returning to yourself and returning to who you've always been. And I think that that's such a beautiful concept, especially through this lens of like going back to your roots and going back to what what has served you and what you've loved and what makes you feel the most like you. Yes, um, I love yeah. that. I think that's so important. I'm, I am, I am a big fan. I, a lot of like N.K. Jemsen and Octavia Butler and just like these ways that we can imagine our future or reimagine our past or reimagine our past and our present by imagining our futures. I, I'm really interested in that type of work and, and I'm very interested in, in lineage and roots. <laughs> I think that this is a little out there, but you know, we're here. I, I think that a lot of folks that are queer and trans right now are are so because we are part of our collective and individual life purpose is to do some healing work for our ancestors, for our family lines. That there's some breaking Ooh. of family patterns that we are here to do. And that the healing that we're doing for ourselves is rippling back into our own lineages. Oh, I love that. I love I loved that piece of the book where you were talking about that. Is that what you mean when you say and I'm tell me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, transcestors? Yes, transcestors. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. That's also a big part of my spiritual toolbox and spiritual tools. You know, honoring ancestors is something that I was taught and something that I do with my Chinese family. But I also think there's just so much importance as a queer community for us to think about ourselves as a lineage as well as the queer and trans folks that have come before us and us being, mm -hmm. you know, the living ancestors for the folks that will come after. Oh, that's so wonderful. I love that. And I love how you talked about, um, like, in, I think this was part of your toolbox you were saying about honoring your ancestors, but then realizing that, like, as queer people, we have um, chosen ancestors, but also, like, our ancestors are that whole community, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the people that we're, like, blood-related to. Exactly. And that's super healing in so many ways to hear. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's guidance we can get from so many ways. And I'll just say, too, that I think that, you know, we don't know often and we don't know, like, intimately all of our, like, biological ancestors. And, you know, time has changed so much. There could be queer ancestors that we have in our lineage, you know, from generations and generations and generations before who are just delighted about how we're living, you know, and delighted mm -hmm. that it's come back, even if we're not aware of it. Mm, that feels so hopeful and like comforting and warm and stuff to just know that that 
that that's that that's there to hold us and yeah yeah um so tell me more i tell me more what about you talk a lot about queerness as a blessing and i feel like that kind of goes in with what we're saying right now yeah tell me about how you feel about that and the concept absolutely and i will say in general you know for house of our queer the idea is how do we create frameworks for spirituality that are not deficit models, that are not saying like, oh, well, we know this like difference or this sin has happened and then what? You know, it's this idea of, you know, what if we really acknowledge all the things that and all of the gifts that queerness bring to ourselves and to our communities and honor that queer people especially those who are coming out in trying times, have this incredible intuition. It means that we Mm. are listening to ourselves, that we have a connection to ourselves, and that we're so brave that we're trusting that even if we're not getting messages to tell us how to do it, even if we're not sure Mm -hmm. how it will go. And so much about spirituality is about intuition building. Right? It's about understanding our own purposes, what is good for us, how we move, what we are meant to do. And so queer folks have really done that for generations, and we're doing that now. And I, I think that that is a spiritual blessing, and I like to really just uplift and honor that. And for my own self and my own life, queerness has been just the gift that keeps on giving it has Mm -hmm. just brought in so much community it has brought in different ways for me to get to design my life for myself like I said I was raised in very you know conservative very religious you know frameworks and small town you know ideology and without queerness I probably would have moved back after college and just assimilated back into that world, um, even though none of the other parts are right for me. But because I had queerness and because I had this new way to say, actually, I'm going to design my relationships, it started as just who I was dating, but then it became how I'm dating. It became deciding what types of relationship structures work for me. It became exploring ethical non-monogamy. And it became exploring what intimate friendships can mean and how chosen family and chosen community show up for each other to live in this interconnected way that was never a model for me um, when I was growing up and isn't still happening in a lot of, um, in the place where I'm from. Yeah. That's really beautiful. It kind of like, I want to say it gives us permission, but also just puts us outside of like the lines and lets us color outside of them and Mm -hmm. just erases all the rules that don't really make that much sense anyway and just lets us just figure out what feels true. It it expands the possibilities, right? Queerness Mm. just has this delicious, rebellious, like, permission to take up space and this ability to flow and ebb with um, however it needs to. It's not in these structures. And I, and I think that that's really what we need for our own spirituality and to be in spiritual community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Bex, t- talk to me more. I want to talk with you about the, um, the Gnostic Gospels. Am I pronouncing that right? Gnostic? Yes. 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 Okay. I just wanted to make sure we got that <laughs> silent G in there. So you never know. I know. It is confusing. Um, yeah, yes. So um, I was delighted. Or do you have a question around it? Or do you oh, I was just going to further into that question, but I think you know where I'm going with it. I was no, going to no. ask to talk about the, the gospel of, of Mary and kind of what, how you found that, what that looked like. I, like we mentioned before, I'm just stoked about learning that that exists. So yeah, please share. Sure, sure. So this happened, like I mentioned when I was on kind of this healing journey. So I, once I was in the reclaiming place and I was ready to just admit to myself and to others that spirituality was a big part of 
what was lifting me up. It was a big part of the work I wanted to do in this world. Um, I decided to take on this sort of, I call it like an independent project, but, um, you know, coinciding with the pandemic and all of this additional time that we all had, I call it like our grounding, right? To just like, but like we were grounded. (laughs) We had to just sit, right? We had to stay home. It was like, no, not not y'all. And and so one of my, I would say like, I call them a pandemic truth. Like one of my pandemic truths was that I realized I was not yet done discovering all of the, like the holding I had with the Catholic Church in my upbringing that um, kind of like I was mentioning before, I felt like I was at a good place, but I realized I actually had so many questions and so much anger and um, so much that I was still holding. And so I set out to figure out essentially, you know, how did the Catholic Church get so far from its radical roots, right? Like if we are like Christian based, you know, why are we doing things that are not Christ-like or like everything I could find about Jesus and his teachings just seemed so far away. And so I started Mm -hmm. digging to see what were these messages, what was going on back then. And that's how I found the Gnostic Gospels and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and the work of Megan Watterson. I found all of these texts and I will say I'm like a literacy nerd and I've done a lot of curriculum work and a lot of literacy. I have a literacy master's. And and it was very interesting to see, you know, we talk a lot about in schools, like hidden curriculum, right? I think we have kind of a general acceptance and understanding now that the history we've been taught about the United States and like the heroes, you know, that we've uplifted are one centered, very white supremacist, very white cis male, and leaving out an entire other part of a story, And so I was interested and not entirely surprised to see that the same thing's been done with the Bible and with the Catholic Church. So essentially the Gnostic Gospels and these other Gospels, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, which is the only Gospel written by a woman that is um, holding like that, is the Gospel of a woman, um, that they were buried, they were told to be destroyed, they were supposed to be, Mm -hmm. you know, destroyed but instead they were buried and they have this really interesting way they've been to come back into the in the light and the gospel of mary magdalene actually was only really made publicly available in 1970 and so it's still recent in these ways you know i think by then you know we were in like the height of the feminist movement but it wasn't really people it it was too so too late right and also in these ways like too early so And I think that's one of the reasons that I keep coming back and keep looking and keep wanting to find, you know, what else is out there for my own growth and healing. Um, And I could say so much, but I guess I'll I'll pause there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so, that's so cool. Some of the things that really got my attention in your book is, well, first of all, how you said one of the only things we know for sure that's not true is that she wasn't a sex worker, which is just like, what? <sighs> I know. <laughs> like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously. I know. Oh, my gosh. My favorite things about her. And I was like, oh, of course. It was just like this way that. Just slut shaming. Slut shaming. Absolutely. Just trying mm-hmm. to discredit her and trying, you know, to say that she's worthless and to show how great Jesus is because he was daring to, you know, save such a wretched yeah. soul. And yeah, it was started um, by Pope Gregory in the sixth century. So it's like, and he basically just like took together a bunch of sinners in the Bible and created one like femme fatale archetype, right? And then he (laughs) called it Mary Magdalene because she was the most known. And also I think, you know, in digging up this, the most important woman to discredit. And, Mm. And so it was really essential to the teachings of like, um, 
of patriarchy, right, and of like male leadership, that anything that Jesus told her and the way that he was able to recognize what she gave and her gifts by being femme, by having that femme divine aspect to her, the gifts that she was able to offer, the the multitudes she was able to hold, um, the able the way that her body was. He talks in in the Gospels. They talk about that Mary Magdalene, according to Jesus, you know, because of her connection to her body, that mm. intuition, that ability to access the divine through our own bodies. Yes. Right? That was a big part of what got left out, and and I that is. Oh, I'm sorry for interrupting. No, go I, ahead. just that that right there, just that it was like his message to her was that her connection to the divine was like through her own body and her own intuition. And I just love that with so much like fiery passion because <laughs> it goes against everything women are taught, which is to not Mm-hmm. listen to your body and to like our bodies are bad and wrong and mm-hmm. all the very I'm just oh my I feel so excited right now to be talking about this <laughs> and to be learning this this is news to me it was and, news to me uh, yeah <laughs> I'm yeah, so glad it, to be talking about this yeah. oh my gosh I I'm so excited the book I'll put um can I put some of the books that you recommended in the notes of the podcast Absolutely. for people yes please do okay because the Megan Watterson that's her name right mm-hmm. yeah okay, she's the leading book, expert on Mary Magdalene absolutely okay I'm gonna be I I'm gonna be ordering that this week but it's just like I just love that because he specifically gave that message to a woman yes and that was what was hidden by the patriarchy. <laughs> it just exactly. feels so... It's like, oh, of course. And that's why yeah. that message being passed down and passed down, passed down, passed down has like erupted into the incredible patriarchy and leadership that we mm. have, that very, very overly structured way that the church is being run today. You know, and I think that mm-hmm. it, I really, like I said, I'm here to reimagine. I believe in the power of reimagining. I don't think any story is written. I, I'm really interested in the time we're living in right now and have excitement and, and like optimis, optimism for the future. And I'm really interested in folks just knowing just having more folks knowing that like some of that original messaging like in Jesus's vision was that there's this right hand the first disciple is Mary Magdalene that she has this Mm -hmm. message for that he intended to spread out that was connection to body is connection to the divine that the only sin is sinning against ourselves the only sin is when we're doing something that is not in alignment with our intuition and what is right for us. And to balance that with, sure, these 12 other dudes and their, their things around institution and ritual, which I think is a balance. I think, you know, I talk about in House of Our Queer having a balance of our spiritual tools, that we need things that are internal supports, ways that we are connecting to our bodies, our intuitions, our manifesting, our reflections, and external tools, ways that we are engaging in ritual, in, in community, that we're channeling things bigger than ourselves, whether that's ancestors or, you know, nature, however we think of it. But we, if we're doing mm. too much of one or too much of the other, we're out of balance. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. And I just, I just love how that, like, also that's just a theme a theme throughout your whole entire book when you go into all the different practices and um, different versions of spirituality. And because I do want to say this for those listening, um, uh, Bex's book is not just, it doesn't just focus on um, uh, Catholicism or Christianity and stuff. Like you also go into things about Buddhism and mm-hmm. astrology and yes, astrology the, and tarot and moon magic and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and all 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 goodness and um, 
I just love that themes throughout it are so similar. They're all just different ways of experiencing and interpreting. And I love that intuition is such a big theme. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I feel you. It's interesting. When I went to write the book, and I think I even mentioned this in the book, like I wasn't intending for the chapters around the church and around Mary Magdalene to be so large. It just like every, I sat down and it was like, oh, I need another source. Oh, wait, I need to go add this thing. Like, and it, and I, mm. what was happening as I was writing this, and I will say I was writing this in 2021 in very much the height of this, like, oh, what is wow. the world? What is the outside? Will this ever go outside? Will there be a world? Like, who knows? You know, that, <laughs> that time of, like, I felt very, like, yeah. internal what I was writing um, and digging into. And so there is very much, like, what you're reading is my healing journey. It was me making peace with these parts of my past so that I can create the space to engage in whatever tools are needed and I felt mm-hmm. that in this chapter, you know, it's one thing to reject the church's teachings, which I've been doing most of my life. Like, oh, this is, I'm bad. I'm not sure. No. But it was an entirely different thing and a different reality to cut right to their source and to see that they've been wrong all along. Mm-hmm. So I thought oh, yeah. There's some real um, healing and just unearthing these roots like you're talking about like getting to the roots of something that there's some a different type of healing oh yeah oh my goodness I can imagine writing this book must have just been such an incredible experience to just have your whole journey and just have that space to to write it all out and to put it all down and to see like your journey in like a physical form. That must have been so cool. It was very helpful. I um, I mentioned this like a little bit before we uh, started recording, but I had been doing, and I think a little bit on here that I'd been doing, you know, just national advocacy um, since 2016. And then I left um, in 2021 and started House of, I started, I thought of House of Our Queer during 2020 when I was at the point where I was like, I must do something. I don't know what it is. Let me start this. And Mm. I launched it just January 1st of 2021. And in July of that year, I was approached um, by Purple Palm Press publisher Lou Barrett to write the book. And I was like, this is great because I don't know what they're like. Yeah. What are you doing? What is House of Our Queer? And I was like, what am I doing? What is House of Our Queer? These are excellent questions. And so it was really an opportunity to figure it out, to get it down, to have really like the time and the space and the the medium to to get it out there. And I'm I'm really proud of it. And I'm really happy that it is um, reaching people. That's so cool. That's seriously so special and such a... Just such an accomplishment, honestly. And the book is beautiful. I love the style of it and like how it doesn't look like a typical book. It looks like, it just looks like the content inside of it. Like it looks like it's just filled with magic. To feel like a sacred text, right? Like this thing that you would hold. And I will say Ashley King is the designer for the cover and the inside. And it's just brilliant. Mm. Ashley King. Okay. That's so awesome. Um, we have time for a, a couple more questions from me. Is, is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. Um, my first one is w- one of my favorite things I think about your book. One of like the many is I'm a big fan of, uh, practical advice that goes along with this kind of conversation. Cause I think that a lot of the time I feel overwhelmed when, Uh, I get really like fired up in conversations like this because I don't know where to start or what to do next. Mm -hmm. And you give a lot of really helpful practical advice, just like starting from all different aspects. Like I think my favorite, because I got, I got really interested in the, the moon, what you were talking about, the moon phases. And that's very new to me. And so I was like, where in the world do I start if I want to, learn more or explore this and then literally the next page I'm like oh she's literally (laughs) telling me where I can start right here um and so I think I think the coolest 
thing in there is that you you talk about this like spiritual toolbox and just these things that you do that could be little practices or big practices or a mix of all of the above. Um, do you want to share a little bit about what your toolbox is and how people can kind of create their own if they wanted to? Absolutely. And yeah, I will say the form of that the book is exactly that and on purpose it's basically just each tool in my toolbox has its own chapter and then each chapter has a here's what you can do section and Mm. I will say I did make um workbooks for each of the chapters so if you want even more (laughs) to go through them uh you can find those on my website uh I'm a teacher I was an elementary school teacher for a long time and then I've done professional learning yeah for um I do a lot of like professional learning professional development and presentations for adults which I've done um since 2012 and so you're very good at it thank you like that is how I think I I also learn by teaching it's like me with teaching and learning is just the way I move through the world and so when I'm learning about something I'm trying to share it and then by sharing I'm learning more Um, and so I Mm. did especially I will say you know given my past and given the world I'm very careful about the way I share offerings with House of Our Queer. I never want someone Mm. to engage with anything that I put out and feel like they're being told what to think, what to believe, what to do. That's Mm. not, that's, it's very important to me that these are invitations and these are offerings and that I'm sharing, here's where I'm coming from. And I have spent a lifetime thinking about this. Um, And I don't know what's right for everyone. Right. Like there is I believe in the importance of diverse spiritual communities, just like with all of our communities. I think that we can come together and we're stronger by believing our own things, having our own rituals, engaging in our own way. Um, And we need help. Right. We need some type of structure. And I will say the Catholic Church has given me that. Uh, One way to to think about starting um, I would say, just like I was mentioning earlier, it's just doing a little inventory of what you currently are doing for your spirituality or your energetic self, the part of you that is not your body, that is not your to-do list, the part of you that's thinking about your purpose and what you're holding and how you're living and how you're loving and and how that's going and what you want. Mm. You know, that's how I think about spirituality. And so do you have rituals that are internal, rituals that are ways that you're checking in with yourself, that you have time carved out and tools for seeing if you are living in alignment in ways that feel right or if you're feeling stuck, if there's relationships or professions or connections or tasks that are draining you, you know, just making sure because we can be We can hold a lot. We are designed um, and we have a very distraction-filled world. And so we can actually be quite unhappy for quite a long time without recognizing it. Mm. And so that, I think, is one of the things that came up in the pandemic, that a lot of people are more awake to what we were holding because we couldn't distract ourselves. Um, And now we're trying to figure out, well, my rent is back and my job is back and everything is back, but I didn't solve all the things that came up. I sat with them and now I, like part of us still knows what came up and is kind of trying to figure out what to do with that. Yeah. Oh, wow. That makes a lot of sense. That feels like, give me goosebumps what you said about how, um, we could be unhappy for a really long time and not realize it mm-hmm. until you sit with it like we did. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and then the external is the now what, right? It's the, okay, well, yeah. what, are we, what are we doing? How do I fix it? <laughs> how do I fix it? How do I move forward? Mm-hmm. And I like a lot of the rituals that I offer have this, Return. One thing that's great about the moon as a practice, and I, I really focus on the new and the full moon 
Um, those happen about every two weeks. So it's a nice checkpoint. It's not every single day. It's not, you know, people are deep, deep, deep in astrology. I'm astrology light, but I appreciate that, you know, the stars as they move around us and the moon as it moves around us pulls us in a collective way. There's something that when we're engaging with the moon, even if you're doing a solo ritual, there might be people across the world um, or your neighbor, you know, or everyone or, you know, doing something to engage with that. And I think our collective power on that, you know, there is um, there's extra energy in those moments Mm. because of that, too. Oh, that's so wonderful. And that's so encouraging. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I love that. Um, Okay, so my my very last question for you, Bex, is very important. <laughs> um, let's see here. Would you would you rather would you rather your mode of transportation, like for the rest of your life, this is just how it's gonna be, um, be double-decker bus that you you drive it from the top of the double-decker bus and it's a like neon like straight out of a rave double-decker bus like (laughs) it's just like a pole it is so much yeah yeah and it is blasting opera music really loudly (laughs) Which doesn't really match the rave look, but it works somehow. <laughs> and that's just the way you have to get around for just the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. it's pretty I'll good on there. gas. Okay. Yeah. Wow, for a double decker. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, it's a. It, we'll say it's in a. It's a hybrid double decker bus, so Great. it's so it's a new and improved. A <laughs> there you go. So you won't be frowned at. Mm-hmm. So would you rather that or would you rather every time you got the hiccups, well, do you get the hiccups regularly, rarely? Um, Well, I have my own solve for it, actually, so I can get rid of them very Ah. quickly. Oh, that's good. Yes. Okay. Okay. Then this might be an easy question. It's okay. (laughs) There you go. <laughs> I'm like, it's energy work. I don't well, want to, if you want to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just another hour later. Um, or would you rather every time you got the hiccups, uh, your, hmm, somebody you knew from elementary school turned into a hamster for... <laughs> The amount of time you have the hiccups and then they turn back into a person and they're not harmed at all. They are perfectly safe. Like if they're driving, precautions are in place. Like I don't, I don't know what those would be, but they are mm-hmm. safe and yeah. will not be harmed. Oh my but God. all of a sudden they're a hamster and they don't know why. <laughs> Which might not be long since you, you have a solve for the hiccups, mm-hmm. but it happens. Oops. What would you pick? Such an excellent question. I'm having you. such a joy. Now I'm just imagining that I'm like driving this like neon double-decker bus with like opera rave with like a bunch of hamsters <laughs> in the back just like enjoying themselves. Oh my God. Um, oh yeah, combine them. <laughs> but I will say, I will <laughs> definitely cool. choose the second one. I would love, if I can just ch- turn people into hamsters for a moment, just be like, you know what? You're <laughs> like taking life a little bit too seriously. I think you need to be a hamster for three minutes. Um, I would do that. <laughs> and also, I am a terrible driver. So oh, just, no. just there is no universe in which having to drive everywhere like will be my future. So people I went <laughs> to elementary school, bus. you uh, just look out, look out. But don't worry, I'll get you out quick. Oh, my gosh. For <laughs> sure, for sure. You've got your solve. And they yeah. might like it. It it's might give them a cute. unique perspective. <laughs> I think I'm it's cute. It could be worse. Book. I'm seeing the movie of this. Yeah. <laughs> it could be worse. Hamsters are, are lovely little creatures. Oh my gosh. They are. Oh. Fluffy little friend for a moment. Oh my gosh. Nobody's sad about that. Yes. 
Well, Bex, thank you so much for spending the time with me today talking through all of these wonderful things. Where, um, where can people find you? Where can they follow you on social media, find your book, all the things? Yes, yes. So thank you so much. It's been wonderful. And yeah, anyone who wants to find me, I'm House of Our Queer. It's O-U-R Queer. Um, pretty much on everything, Facebook, Instagram. Instagram, I'm the most um, present. And I have a website, houseofourqueer.com. So you can order the book there and also um, follow me on House of Our Queer. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much again. I think you are so wonderful. If I'm ever in Northern California, I'm going to be waving at you at the grocery store. Oh my <laughs> like, there you are. Yes, absolutely. If you come to Northern California, we'll get tea. <laughs> yes. Oh, let's get yeah, tea. I love tea. Awesome. We will talk. This was such a great conversation. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Uni Project Podcast. If you guys enjoyed what you heard today, then feel free to go leave us a review anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Or if you wanted to get involved or get in touch, follow me on Instagram at JackieG.TV or check out my website for any and all information, JackieGronlin.com. All of that info is in the description box below. See you next time.